Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. We're going to be talking about pursuing God and how we do that. And so I'm so glad that we're getting into the wave of pursuing God and His presence. Amen. Hallelujah. When you feel ready, I'm going to just ask you to go back to your seats. So we can just get into the Word. We're ready for the Word right now. We're hungry for the Word. So I'm just going to tell you. Find a Bible when you get to your seats. Praise the Lord. Good morning. God bless you. I hope you have your Bibles ready because you know that I always have a lot of verses I want to go through. Let's see how how far we can get today. I already know since before I left the house that um, this message is going to be in two parts. I, I just knew it because there's so much meat in the word today that I don't think we can do it in one uh, sitting. And you are going to need to chew on what we talk about today. Like really chew it and digest it. Right? So uh, I'm going to tell you the title of today's message. Because as you know, um, we are going to be looking at those foundations that are part of our church. And why is it that we cannot compromise on some of these foundations that we have? And uh, si alguien necesita equipo de traducción, levante una mano y va a venir un técnico que le va a traer el equipo y cómo usarlo. So, si alguien necesita, I guess nobody needs. So we're good. I'm going to try to talk as slow as I can so they can capture me. Um, the title of today's message is The Bible, Our Manual for Life. Our Bible, The Manual for Life. And I'm going to start in a very unusual way today. And what I really want to talk about starting out is mapping out the battleground that we have to deal with on a daily basis and how that relates to the word. So that's why we can't do it all in one sitting, but we're going to do the best that we can. So um, today I really want to share with you and I want you to consider the Bible, the Word of God, as one of the most important aspects of your Christian walk. It is the manual for every situation in your life. The first place we should go look for is the Bible. Okay. You, you ever heard people say, you know, you, you have babies and babies come without a manual? You ever heard people say that? I, I've heard it many a time. And they've totally missed out the number one manual on how to raise a child. And God gave it to us, the Bible. So we go to the bookstores and we go in the self-help book sections and we're looking for people to tell us how to raise our children. And the one person that has given us our children is the one to tell us how to raise them and we don't go to that source. Did you ever notice that? 
I'm going to leave that right there. The greatest blessing that we get from the Bible is the revelation of God, who he is, and his nature. Do you want to know who God is? Do you want to know what God is about? There's only one place that you can go to that he is telling you and he's telling me what is it that he loves, what is it that he detests, what is it that he blesses, and what is those things that he doesn't bless. He's very clear. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we find out the nature of God through the Bible. The second blessing we get out of the Bible is that it provides us intelligence for the war that we are fighting. Intelligence for the war that we are fighting. So let's, let's take a look at our minds and what the Bible tells us about our mind and how that is going to relate with the Word of God. So we're going to go right to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Look in your Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to be reading verses 3 to 5. Um, we don't have children's ministry this month. This is the month that all the, the, the children's ministries get geared up again. Um, the nursery is, not, is open if a mom has to go feed her baby or change whatever. It's open. You can go into the nursery. So we're all here today. Amen. So let's read out of the scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 to 5. And we read in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Now, if, if you like to write in your Bible, or if you don't mind writing in your Bible, I would tell you to underline that word, destroy strongholds, right? We destroy arguments, and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And take every thought captive, captive, captive to obey Christ. See, I'm reading out of the English Standard Version in case you think yours looks a little different. Right? So those are strong, important words. And one of the things that it highlights is this issue of strongholds. And what is a stronghold? Well, an army, an army rests within a stronghold to go and do exploits. So when they're going to rest, they go back behind the stronghold, they recuperate, they recharge, and they go back out and do exploits. An enemy is concealed and safe behind a stronghold. If we go to John chapter 10, verse 10, John 10, 10, it tells us that the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And Jesus has come to give us life and give it to us abundantly. So we are providing, when we allow strongholds in our life, we are providing safe spaces for the enemy to come inhabit. He actually has the nerve to come and inhabit. And inhabit, he sets up his camp. And he gears himself to take up strength and energy against us. Isn't that something? That's like you open the door and you tell your enemy, come on in, make yourself comfortable, and when you're ready, you can do battle against me. That is exactly what we do when we allow strongholds in our lives. The thought patterns 
And here these verses speak about our thoughts. And so the thought patterns that war against God is where our enemy inhabits. In our thought patterns, in our thinking. These realms are broken thoughts. They're not the thoughts of God. They're broken and they're fragmented. These are ideas and thoughts that separate us from God. Okay? We cannot entertain any thought that is different from what God thinks about us. Okay? And we know what God thinks about us in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. So in Jer- Jeremiah 29, 11, we know exactly what God has for us. And it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and hope. So God has plans of good for us. He makes wonderful plans for us. We have to decide whether we want the plan that God has for us, which is going to bless us, or we choose to go our own direction. We have that opportunity. A mind that is contrary to the purposes of God sets itself up for failure. So while we say we are believers and we're followers of Christ, if our mindset and our patterns of thinking are opposite or opposed to what God has for us, we are going to find ourselves in failure time after time after time because our thoughts are not the thoughts of God. It, 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 it tells us in the scripture that what it does is it, it's casting down. The Spirit of God casts down thoughts and imaginations and reasonings. Thoughts, imaginations, and reasonings. Now, this is a, a violent act. Now, you have to be ready and willing to be part of a violent act. You have to be willing to say, no, I'm not going to allow a stronghold within me. You have to be willing to fight and bring down the walls of your stronghold. Because what we do is we protect those things within us that really harm us. You ever notice people protecting things that harm us? We could be in relationships that are harmful to us and hurtful to us and violent against us, and we protect those relationships. Wow, we really protect to keep those things that hurt us. We protect and keep thoughts that want to hurt us. We create these strongholds, and the enemy sets up house and living behind those strongholds. Now, are you catching what I'm saying? I hope so. This is really important. So have you ever had a negative thought that kept playing in your mind? Has anybody experienced that or is that just me? Oh, my goodness. Oh my, yes, thank you. I can't pick up my legs or fall right on the floor. I'm telling you, negative thoughts that keep running through your, through your mind, excuse me, of how, how useless you are, how weak you are, how, you know, there's nothing within you of value because there's always something negative, right? So we have these thoughts that are constantly running in our mind and they're negative thoughts and we want to get rid of them, but we don't go to the source that can get rid of them. It requires us to be willing to join with God to pull down and bring down the walls of our strongholds. God is not going to work against your will or mine. We have to want it so desperately, and God says they're ready for it, and he joins with us. He could do this without us, but when God does it with us, it makes us feel and and understand that 
we're, we're partnering with God on this, that he's there for me. And I'm totally understanding what he's saying. And I'm, I'm accepting God's direction for my life. See, we need to partner with God on these things. And so we have to be willing to violently bring down these thoughts that are there to hinder us. Because God is looking for us, for you and for me. He's looking for us that every day we can have the mind of Christ, know the mind of Christ. You say, well, I, how can I know the mind of Christ? How is that possible? He's God and I'm not. How can I know the mind of Christ? Let me see. How do I know the mind of Christ? How do I know the mind of the Holy Spirit? How do I know the mind of God? He's telling you what's on his mind. He's absolutely telling you how we can do these things if we choose. And so God is looking for us to know the mind of Christ and to live as a model of Jesus Christ. Have you been modeling Jesus Christ? Or have you been modeling, and just put your name in that, in that line, I've been mo modeling Margie, or I've been, just because you're on the first line, I've been modeling Lisa, or I've been modeling Louis. Who are you modeling? We should be wanting to model Jesus Christ. And he's given us so many examples on how to model him. Let's take a look at Mark chapter 8, verse 15. Mark 8, 15. And this is Jesus teaching his disciples. And he says, watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. I had to read this verse a few times because I was like, hold up one minute. You disciples have the opportunity to spend three years walking, sleeping, eating, seeing the things that Jesus has done. He's dropping a nugget in your lap, and you're worried about the fact that you have only one loaf of bread on the boat. That kind of sounds like us, right? In totally? Like, just as I know that there are people seated here right now worrying about lunchtime. I'm going to look over here. Johnny, I'm not looking at you. I'm looking at this wall. Just as I know that I know that I know that people are looking at the watch and thinking, how many people are on the line for lunch right now? How, am I have to get, if I have to get on a waiting list, how many people are on that waiting list before me? By what time are they going to seat me and by what time are they going to serve me? We are so worried about that loaf of bread. This is the one nation in the world that has the most to eat. Listen, so much that we have the greatest number of obese people. And I include myself. Right? The greatest number of obese people and our mind is so hooked on when is our next, our next meal. We're sitting down at lunch and we're already thinking about dinner. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Am I just this weird person on the side? I'm already thinking about what time I'm having dinner, what am I going to eat, and what's going to be my dessert. Is there anybody get that? So here the disciples are with Jesus. Hello, Jesus on the boat. And he's giving them this incredible, you know, advice 
And all they're thinking about is the bread. We only got one loaf. And you know Peter, he always has to have two servings. We got one, one loaf of bread. How many pieces of bread are we going to get out of this? How many people, we got, how many servings are we going to get out of this? The things that we concern ourselves with. Seriously. And God is trying to drop a nugget in your lap right now. Yeah, I know it's 12 noon. Guess what? You're going to survive. Because we have so much obesity in this country, you got enough fat and enough flab that's going to feed you for another hour. Yes. Yes, yes. I will not starve. No, I will not become a skeleton. No, I will not. But God is trying to drop a nugget in my lap. Huh? So what does he tell them? What is he trying to tell them? He says, be careful of the leaven of Herod. Herod. Right there, that's the political system. The humanistic political system, which influences the way that we think. Oh my goodness, if you just leave that CNN, CNN on day and night, your mind is going to be totally changed by CNN. See, as Christians, we were directed by God. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, I'm not going to read it, but write it down. We're directed by God in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 2 to 3. We are supposed to pray. Pray for those who are put, put in leadership over us. Pray for them. I don't recall anywhere, and it's not between the lines, that tells me that I have to go stand in the corner with a cardboard, sit, you know, walking around just with political statements on them. That's not what we're called to do. See, there's like 1.2 or 4 billion Christians in the world. What do you think would happen in this world? If those Christians decided that instead of standing in a corner with a cardboard, which is not even biblical, they will get on their knees and pray about the political systems throughout the world, what do you think would happen? See, because when I go out there and I stand around with a cardboard carton, a card, what do you call those things? Posters, right? What I'm saying is that the statement that I'm making on that poster is greater than the power of God. And as Christians, we should know that there's nothing greater than us being able to go on our knees and pray before God and ask him to do like the scripture tells us, let it be done in heaven, uh, uh, in, on earth as it is in heaven. Right? Isn't that what we pray in the Lord's prayer? So that is what we should be praying you know, you got issues with your president. You got issues with how much he tweets. Tweets? Why don't you pray about that? Why don't you pray and ask the Lord to hold his finger? Hold it. Let every thought be held captive by the Holy Spirit. Why aren't we praying what we need into our president instead of carrying on? That gets us nowhere. That just gets everybody all riled up and gets everybody violent against each other. And that is not what we're called to do. God says, listen, you have an issue with those that are put in authority over you? And if you just read the Bible, you're going to see all the times that there were kings that were opposed. And God flipped the heart of these kings because he had a group of people that got on their knees and prayed and said, God, there's no solution, no humanly solution for us in this situation. But we know that you are above every thought, every imagination, 
every reasoning, and you can get a hold of this situation. What would happen if all the Christians in the United States of America, including Alaska and Hawaii, would agree to come together in prayer over these things? I truly believe that it would change the atmosphere of this country. It would change the atmosphere. It would. But God has a bunch of his children running around like chickens without heads instead of being able to seek him out in these situations. Let us be a remnant. Let this church be a remnant of people that pray for our political leaders on a daily basis. Not only our presidency, but I'm talking local government, state government. There's things happening at every level. And the only one that's having a party here is the devil. He's having a party at every, at every stage of government. And we, as the children of God, know that God is above all. And we need to pray on a daily basis for these things. So Jesus is telling them, listen, be careful. Be careful of the leaven of Herod, those political systems. And he says, be careful of the leaven of the Pharisees. Religious systems where God is at the center, but their God is powerless. Powerless. And so God is talking to them about the influences over the mind. And, you know, they're worried about lunch. The disciples feared they had only one loaf. Had been with him. Now, if you read the rest of that chapter, take our time and read these chapters. If you read the rest of the chapter, you see that he's telling them, what are you fearful about? Have you not been with me when I fed the 5,000? Have you not been with me when I fed the 4,000? So why would you think that I would not take care of you? Why would you think that? You've seen that I've taken care of the masses. Why would I not take care of you? And this is why it's important for us to know the Bible. Because in the Bible, we see, you know, these, these, these life situations taking place. And I'm able to draw from that and say, Lord, if you provided for the masses, you could provide for me and mine. We're, f- we're few in number, but Lord, if you provided for thousands, you can provide for us. But that will require one thing of you, that you believe God for what he said he would do. That means you would have to operate with faith. And where does faith come from? Faith comes from hearing the word of God. You you just can't get around it. There's no other way. You have to know the word of God because that is the one tool that you have in every situation of your life that you can go to. And you're going to get a positive response. Not the response that you want. But the one that God sees is the most beneficial for you. So the, the, the disciples were operating in fear. And really, we as human beings, we operate on two levels. We operate love or fear. And uh, the, the source of our words and our responses, what we speak and the way we act is based on whether we're experiencing love or fear. The things that we pursue and the things we go after are based on the things that we love and the things that we fear. Okay. Jesus is talking to them really strongly in this chapter. And really what he's saying is, why, are you re- why is your reasoning at war with my world? Jesus is telling them, why is your reasoning, what you're thinking, 
at war with what you know I can do in the world. So we know that reasoning is the root. It's the root word. It comes from imaginations and it comes from the word speculation. Right? Imaginations and speculations. Jesus is asking them, why are you at war with how I have asked you to live? Why are you at war with how I think of you? And why are you at war with what I, I have assigned you to do with your life? We fight with God on every aspect, on every issue of our life. We're constantly in this tug of war, wanting to do what we want, but we want God's blessings. God, I want to do what I want to do when I feel like doing it, how I feel like doing it, but I still want you to bless whatever I want to do. I want you to bless God whatever I want to say. And God is not going to bless anything that does not come forth from his will and his goodness. I'm going to tell you that right now. He's not going to bless it. Why didn't you change the way that you think? Why didn't you? Because this is what's happening with the disciples. Why didn't they change the way they were thinking? Because we, just like them, think that the miracles of God are temporary interventions. Oh, God is just coming through for this, but that doesn't mean he's going to come through for everything else. It's a temporary fix. God and his miracles are temporary interventions, but they're actually revelations. Every time that God works a miracle in your life, it's a revelation of the nature of God, who he is. And what we find out from this nature of God is that he is a covenant-making God. I hope that you're, you're following with the Bible project that the whole church is reading. I hope so. Because right now we just got through the covenant of God. And I think that makes those of you that have been reading, and if you haven't read, catch up, catch up. Grab one of those uh, calendars, look in the back, and catch up. Because what we're understanding, and if you're reading, I'm reading right along with you. If we're reading the scripture, it's telling us that he is a covenant-making God that does not break his promises. And we're able to see in his manual that the covenants that he has made with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob have been covenants that he has been present at and that he has been fulfilling. That is a covenant-making God. Now, I'm assuming that you want a covenant-making God. I'm assuming that you don't want a God that just shows up whenever. You want a God that is ever-present every single day of your life because he's a covenant-making God, and you are a covenant-making people, and this is what you want. You want relationship. We're not about religion. The Pharisees, they thought that by studying the Scriptures, they would then secure their eternal life. See, read, read that chapter. It tells you. Oh, if we study these scriptures and we really stick to them, we have eternal life. And then Jesus is telling them, listen, you're, you're so focused on the black and white of the word that you're missing. You, you focus on the logos, the word, the actual words of the Bible, and you're missing the spirit of the word. And I, the rhema. And I am the rhema. John chapter 1, right there in the beginning. What does it say in John chapter 1, verse 1? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word, what? Was God. 
The word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him, not anything made was made. So, so you see, do you see what I'm saying here? We do not practice religion. If you're looking to practice a religion, which means I come in at this set time and I better leave at this set time because my meal is waiting for me. We are not ritualistic pract practitioners, yeah, practitioners of religion. We are people that are in relationship with God. Do you understand what that means? Relationship. That means that I'm ready to leave here when God says I'm ready to leave. And I'm anxious to come here because I know he's waiting for me. That's relationship. That's relationship. I want to hear what you have to say. I want to see how that applies to my life. I want to work it in my life. I want relationship with my God. Don't be a Pharisee. Seek relationship. Right? I went off on another tangent. Let's take a look at the Garden of Eden. Now, if you've been following the Bible Project, we did the Garden of Eden, right? And I hope that, you know, because we all know Bible story, stories. A lot of us grew up in the church, and we went to children's church, and we, we learned the basics, you know. And, yeah, when we get into the Word and we dig into the Word, we're going to find a little nugget that we missed at some point. A little nugget of something that we missed. Now, let's, let's think about the Garden of Eden. Green, yellows, red. The most beautiful greens, the most beautiful yellows, the most beautiful reds. Everything is beautiful. All the animals just walking around doing their thing. Right? And God coming down on a frequent basis to talk face to face with man. That has to be the most incredible experience. See? And so we know that in the garden there was the tree of life. And the tree of knowledge of good and evil, right? Do I have you up to that point? Okay. Now, knowledge in itself is not a bad thing. I mean, wasn't God in his walks with them sharing knowledge? I think so. I think they had incredible conversations. I can't wait to go to heaven. I'm going to look for Adam or Eve. I'm going to say, hey, what was that like? You know, what did you talk about? Well, how will you know who Adam and Eve is? Well, simple. They don't have belly buttons. So I'm going to look for somebody that doesn't have a belly button. You must be Eve. Or you must be Adam. I've been on a look at Adam's belly button. Let me look at Eve. All right? What was that like? And so God gave them choice. He says, listen, I want you to eat from the tree of knowledge. I mean, I'm sorry. No. I was waiting for somebody to say no. The tree of life. He says, eat from the tree of life. But the only tree in this whole garden you can't eat from is the tree, of, the, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Simple. Eat from anything you want except this one thing. Why is it that we always want that one thing that they tell us we can't have? Is that not true? You ever had the doctor tell you you can't eat some things? Anybody? Right. Man. Doctor said, cut back on your sugar, right? That's the one thing they always say. And I'm dreaming with the jelly rolls. Those nauseatingly sweet jelly rolls. And all I'm seeing is the jelly roll. It's just floating by 
Oh, I wish I could get a judge. All the things that you know you shouldn't have and they're not good for you, that's the thing you want and you desire. And everything you dream about is sugar. You know? The chocolate cake just floats by. Huh? A nice tall glass of ice with your favorite soft drink just floats by. Hey, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Let's get away from that loaf of bread. Let's get away from the loaf of bread. Mm. So, what's happening here? See, the, the issue really wasn't that they wanted to eat from that one tree that they never could. But they're really at the core of what Adam and Eve wanted was to be like God. That, that was it. That was the clincher. You will be like God. Oh, I could be like God. I can be, and they translated that to, I can be a God. Oh, that's sounding kind of nice. I'm getting rid of all these people over here. Thank God we're not God. We'd be like killing people left and right. Somebody cross your path. That car just cut me off. Die, I say. You know. Thank God we're not God. Thank, thank, thank him for that today. But at the root of really what was in their heart was wanting to be God. But we've learned in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 16. Hebrews eleven sixteen tells us that without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must, it doesn't say if you want to, it says must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. I like that part, right? That he rewards those who seek him. So we know that God is a rewarder. He loves to reward his children. You know what God loves to reward? Obedience. Obedience is huge with him. You know, I remember as a, as a young girl, I went to a missionary service, and I was so impacted by the, the word that day. And in my pocket, I had my lunch money for the week. You know, our parents used to give us our little budget. This is your budget for your lunch money for the week. And I remember that I, I, I put my hand in my pocket, and I felt around, and I felt my lunch money. And I said, you know what? God, I'm going to trust you in this. I was young. I was maybe eighth grade, ninth grade. And I said, God, you know, I'm going to trust you in this. And I took my lunch money, and I put it into the uh, offering plate. The next day was Monday, and I got a letter. See, because God knows our past, our present, and our future. He knew exactly what I was going to do. And that next Monday, in a very nice letter, it was addressed to me, my name. I opened it up. It was a typed letter. And inside that letter, now you know we don't do this anymore. They put cash inside the letter. And they said, the Lord told me to send this to you. And it was ten times what my offering had been. I, I don't know if you're catching this. It was an anonymous letter. And God already knew what I was going to do. And so he made that provision for me. The next day, I had money for my lunch. And then some. Ten times. And have you ever been blessed when you, when you listen to God like that? And he blesses you right away. And you're like, wow, I've got this. You know? Oh, I know, I know, I know, how, I know how this works. And then the next time that we're obedient to God, 
I wrote this down because I thought it was. The next time might take a couple of weeks because this is what is happening. God just put another tree in your garden. See, you have to choose from what you know to be true of the nature of God. And your next choice is going to determine the level of your reward. So this is what happens. You obey God. And so now you're confronted once again with choice. Everything in our life is choice. From the moment you get up in the morning, what am I going to wear? See? Ugh. Well, this was my thing. I hated to get dressed in the morning. You know, if I could wander around all day in my pajamas, I'd be a happy person. And it's like I would stand in the closet every day and, ugh, I hate to get dressed. Ugh, I hate to get dressed. See? And so we have choices to make every single day. We have to choose between two, two things every single day. And because God is a God that protects our freedom of will, the one spiritual law that he will not break is giving us the will to choose. And so because God won't break that will, he always has to have choice for us. There's always going to be two things you have to choose from, the direction that God wants you to go and where you want to go. Now, you can't expect, remember I told you, you can't expect the blessings of God the same way if you followed him than if you did your own thing. Because in every choice that we have, there's also a little word called consequence. Ain't that so? You're going to have a consequence for good or a consequence for not so good. I didn't want to say bad, but not so good. There's a consequence to everything that we do in life. And so that is the one thing that, that we know. God reveals his nature to us through his word. Not just revealing an act of God. He's just not revealing what he did for the Israelites by crossing the Red Sea. That's not the only thing he was doing. It wasn't just the act of opening the Red Sea. It's us knowing his nature of provision in the midst of, I don't know how this is going to happen. There's no door here. There's no way out. And God makes a way and he makes a door to get you through. That's knowing the nature of God, not just the acts of God. Because we don't have any Red Seas around here that we could ask God to open for us. But we have a lot of situations that are similar to having to stand before the Red Sea and not knowing where to go what to do, how to get through this. God makes a way. Now, there was a problem with the uh, children of Israel and their failures. And so if we look at the children of Israel and we see their failures and we look at Moses and the way Moses matured throughout his walk, walking through this 80 years old, walking through this with these children of Israel, let's be real, you're dealing with all these millions of people, O-M-G, you know, like, seriously, we would have given up a long time ago. I would have told them, you travel 40 times around the desert going nowhere, travel another 40 years because I could care less. I'm sick of you people. You complain about everything. You have shoes that don't wear out. You have clothes that don't wear out. God gives us water when you're thirsty. He gives us food when we're hungry, and you're still complaining. Go wander around for another 40 years and look me up in 40 years. That, that probably would have been me. I'm being real. Speaking truth right? I'm done with you people. But what was the problem? The problem was that Israel was acquainted with the acts of God. When you come before God, don't just come with an outstretched hand to see what the, what's the next thing God's going to do for you. See? We've learned one thing in the last couple of weeks. 
that we are servants of God. Stop, stop calling yourself a volunteer. We're servants of God. Now, honey, tell me the numbers again. In the Bible, the word volunteer only appears how many times? Six times? What was it? Like 18 times. And the word servant of God appears 600 and, oh, like 6,000 times we will see references to servant in the Bible. So let's stop coming to God. I want to see what's the next thing you do. And we go and people, you ever seen people chasing you know, evangelists, because they want to see the next miracle that could happen without realizing that the miracle doesn't come from the evangelist. And the, the miracle comes from God. So we elevate the evangelist over God, and we think that if we chase the evangelist, we're going to keep seeing works of God. You will see works of God in your life every single day. You will see works of God here in this congregation if that is what you seek. God is more than willing to display himself to us. He's waiting for us to say, God, we want to see you. We want to see your presence. And we don't care how long it takes. I'm not measuring God and telling him, I'm giving you an appointment right now, God. You got this much time. Go ahead. Do your thing. And hurry it up. Because I have a loaf of bread waiting for me over there. I don't think we say that. So while Israel was acquainted with the acts of God, they saw God do so many things. Moses... Through the acts of God, began to discover the nature of God. And that was the difference. That was, that's the difference, my brothers and sisters. That when we are able to look to the nature of God, we will have situations that go up and down. Because our life is, 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 this is our life. Uh, we have ups and we have downs. And we have ups and we have downs. But in the midst of those ups and downs, every time we hit a down, it's like we bounce. And we bounce from that down back to that up. Because God is doing that for us. Because we're learning the nature of God. In every down that you have, in every dip that you experience, God is going to teach you something in that dip that's going to help you get through the next dip in your life. I've noticed this through my life, that every situation, like really serious situation that I've been in, every single one gets a little bit more serious and a little bit deeper and I've had to pull from what God has taught me in the prior pits that I was in so that I can use them as stepping stepping stones up to where God wants me to be and that's how we have to live not staying down in the dip go look in the gospel you never saw Jesus getting in a hole with anybody never saw him going down to anybody what would he say Come up here. Get up. Come out. Go ahead. Go read your gospel. It's in there. We encourage you to read the word. So Moses was discovering the nature of God. Let me ask you this question. What makes a lie powerful? What makes a lie powerful? You know what it is? It's my vote and your vote that says that lie is true. See? The devil is no competition for God. Why do we always think that the war is between God and the devil? We forget who he is. He's lied to us and telling us that he's at the level of God. That's a lie. He is so not at the level of God. He's at the level of a Michael. 
He's at the level of a Gabriel, but he's not at the level of God. This is what his issue is. He wants to be God, but he can't get himself up there. And the time that he tried to climb up into the mountain of God, God kicked him out. He kicked him out with those that were in his favor. One third of the angels of heaven were kicked out with him. Kaboom, you're out. So let us not at any moment think and believe the lie of the enemy that he is more powerful than God. See, that right there is what we're reading about. Wanting to elevate, elevate the thought, those thoughts above God. Nope. Nope. And this is why we need to know our word. Because when we know our word, we know who God is. And we also know who the devil is. And he doesn't have anything on me. The power of God that is in me through the power of the Holy Spirit is greater than he is. You have to know who you are. Don't let the devil lie to you. See? So the only thing that gives power to a lie is us saying, yes, that lie is true. Yes, it's true I'm worthless. Yes, I'm good for nothing. Yes, I'm a nobody. Yes, I have nothing to give anyone. That's a lie. Go back to Jeremiah and keep reading Jeremiah. Type it up in a little card and put it on your mirror and look at it every day and know who you are. You're precious to God. You're a child of God. Now in Matthew chapter 16, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish with this. I, let me tell you, this is so good. This is so good. But I don't want to rush you through it. So, Matthew chapter 16. Give me five minutes. I know, I know. I know. I know, I know. Matthew 16, verses 15 through 17. Jesus speaking to the disciples. And he says, he said to them, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ. Well, you know, you got to read the other verses. Well, you're prophet, you're this prophet, you're Jeremiah, you're Elijah, you're this. That's what the people are saying. And then he says, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Wow. That's powerful. He says, it's not flesh and blood. You've received a revelation from God on his nature. But you have to read the rest of that chapter because what happens is that then Peter is full of himself. He's like, okay, I am the guy with the word. So when, you know, you know what I'm saying? I am the prophet in town. I'm the apostle in town. I'm the prophet. I'm the apostle. I'm the evangelist. I'm the, you remember? Well, those of you that were here during that time. Right? And he's so on a high from giving the right answer that a few minutes later, Jesus is giving some revelation that he's going to die on the cross and he's going to resurrect. And Peter starts to contradict God and says, oh, no, wait a minute. I'm going to correct you right there. You're not dying. Oh, no, you're not. You got to read this chapter. It's a living word. Oh, no, you're not. And Jesus, his tone changes, right? 
And he says, get thee behind me, Satan. Right? So he goes from being in the high of a revelation to now get thee behind me, Satan. Why? Jesus said. Let's look at it. Uh, Verse 23. You are a hindrance to me. What you're saying is a hindrance to me and where I have to walk. He says, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. You are not setting your mind. A minute ago, his mind, his mind was with God. A minute later, he's in the flesh. This is what we go through. Some days we're high spiritually, and other days the things that come out of us are fleshy, fleshy, flesh. No more than flesh. See? And so God had to correct him. Those are my five minutes. Your mind is set on the things of man. I'm going to leave you with this thought. Humanity without Jesus at the center is demonic in nature. Humanity without Jesus at the center is demonic in nature. It goes against the will, the knowledge of God. Anything that's not in line with God is opposed to him. Do you understand that? So when we say, oh, this was such a good part, but I don't have time for now. I'm going to bring it up next week. But when we think and believe the lies of the enemy, we are saying that they're stronger than the power of our God. See? And so we are going to pick this up my next time. But I really want you to take the time and think about what it is to be a follower of Christ. A follower of Christ has to know who Christ is. A follower of Christ has to know who God is. A follower of Christ has to know what it is and what it takes to have relationship with God. And it's all right here in the word. That's why the word is such a strong foundation of this church. We encourage you to read the word. That everything that comes forward from this altar, listen, measure it with the word. Go look at the word and find it there. Because we're not going to teach anything here that does not come out of the word. All right? We're going to pray. If anyone needs prayer, for strength. You don't know Jesus. You have not made a decision to know Jesus. You haven't made a decision to accept Jesus. Maybe at one time you followed him, but you've gone in, you know, the choice, the two trees, you've chosen the other tree and now you can't find your way back. But yet God says that his word is the lamp unto our feet. It will direct our every path. And so if you need to get back to God today, I'm going to tell you, today is your day. We will pray with you. So if anyone needs prayer today, I'm going to tell you, lift a hand. We're going to pray with you. Not by without you, with you. Amen. God bless you. We're going to pray with you. Amen. Amen. Now I'm going to trust you in this. And you trust us to be able to get up out of your seat. And come right here because I'm going to have somebody join you right here and pray for you. You're not alone in this. All around this room, we've all had to make decisions for Jesus. 
We're not alone. You're not alone, my sister. You're not alone. We're going to pray. I'm going to ask our elders to come forward, and they're going to join you in, in whatever prayer you need. And the sound guys put something there that, you know, that stirs my soul. Right? And we're going to pray. Pray with them. Pray for them as if it was yourself. And while we're praying, while they're praying here, I'm going to pray for you, this congregation. I'm going to pray for you. God is good. He is so good. The scripture tells us that every time a soul comes to the Lord, you know, there's such a celebration in heaven. It's a party place, you know, where they're constantly celebrating souls that come back to relationship with him. See? Close your eyes. Bow your heads. Let's pray. over your heart. Just take a hand and put it over your heart. Thank you, Lord. Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your tender mercies, for your love, oh Lord, that just, it just covers us. Thank you, Lord that you continue to draw us to you, that you want us to read your word and know who you are. You want to reveal yourself to us. We know that we're not worthy. But thanks to Jesus, thanks to the blood that was shed on the cross of Calvary, we are worthy, Lord, to know your nature. So, Father, give us a hunger for your word. Give us a hunger to see you through the pages of our Bible. Give us a hunger, oh Lord, to want to draw closer to you every single day of our lives. That we be hungry for you, Lord, more than anything of this earth, more than anything of our flesh. Lord, let us be hungry for you. Let us pursue you. Follow after you. Run after you. Seek you, Lord. And bring you into the center of every situation in our life. Be the center of our lives, oh Lord. We give you the space and we give you the permission to come into our lives and be the center of our lives. We thank you this morning, Lord. We, we pray blessings on our visitors today, Lord. Just bless them. Let them be able to see your hand turned on their behalf. Bless them, oh Lord. Bless their paths and their steps that they may be able to see your hand turned on their behalf from this day forward. We just pray blessings on them and their families. In Jesus' holy name we pray. And God's people said,